BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Ish. Hey y'all, what's good? Welcome to Right Nowish. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Hey, I'm in a really good mood today because we are on the cusp of celebrating Right Nowish's third birthday. First formed as a radio show in early 2019, Right Nowish, the podcast, launched in late October of the same year. Since then, we've been churning out stories just about every week rain, shine, pandemic, or protest, we've been talking to artists, activists, actors, and academics about this thing called life in the Bay Area. Today, we're revisiting an episode that's emblematic of this show's ethos. In July 2021, we talked to Alameda's own Trackademics. Known as the Cool Collar Scholar from the Honor Roll Collective, Trackademics is a music producer who makes original blaps and has a knack for flipping or remixing popular songs and adding that Bay Area flavor. When we talked, we discussed the history of hyphy music and how he, as a black and Filipino person, sees remixing as a part of his DNA. Since then, he's gone on to DJ at functions in LA and he's produced more music, including some forthcoming remix projects like this mashup of Janet Jackson and Andre 3000. Check it out. And... Trackademics has recently gotten married. Congrats to him and his partner. This week, we're running back a right now-ish favorite as Trackademics gives us a lesson on an important time in world history, the hyphy movement. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, 
please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. My name is Pendarvis Harshaw, and I grew up in the midst of the hyphy movement. The scrapers getting sideways, those airbrushed t-shirts, them big stunner shades, all of that. That was my teenage experience. Oh yeah, If you listen closely, you can hear me behind the camera. Filming the classic footage of Oakland A's mascot Stomper going dumb. That was at the record release party for E40's My Ghetto Report card. Arguably the height of the hyphy movement. Yeah, so you know I get to feeling old when I realize that kids born during that era are now in college. And with this new generation of young adults, what's old is new again. I'm hearing musicians sample elements of songs that I grew up gigging to, rappers talking about bringing hyphy back, and even references to what came before hyphy, mob music, and before that, funk music. That said, I think it's time for a Bay Area musical history lesson. And who better to chop it up with than the Cool Collar Scholar himself, the honor roll producer who has worked with Jay Stalin, Kamaya, Mr. Fab, and so many more. His name is Trackademics, and he knows a thing or two about hip-hop history in this region. The Bay Area is a, such a prolific place, and it has been since the beginning of rap. We talk about the hip-hop legacy of Northern California, the etymology of the term hyphy, as well as why it's important to know your history if you're looking to make some music that slaps. We'll be back quicker than the time that it takes you to go to the store to get some Henny, some Swishers, and some Listerine strips. Ugh. What's the first hyphy song you ever heard? I'd have to say that E-40's album, it had gasoline with Turf Talk. That's when I first started hearing like, oh, this is an actual crazy sound, like the hyphy sound. And Turf Talk's voice next to E-40's voice. Just kind of created this crazy tone where it's just like unruly. It was it was in your face. The beats by Rick Rock. Hold up. Shout out Rick Rock, the Northern California producer behind the classic old school songs, contemporary hits, and a ton of songs from major hip hop artists like Tupac, Jay-Z, and even this song from Busta Rhymes and Mariah Carey. Rick Rock was one of the producers who laid the cornerstone to the hyphy sound. He produced songs like Hyphy and Go Dumb by the Federation, as well as E-40's Yeah, yeah, He was making crazy beats. He was making like more up-tempo songs with wacky, wacky sounds, crazy percussion. This is something different. It's hyphy. I mean, we didn't have the terminology yet. But it slapped. Hyphy. The word was said on record by East Oakland's Keek the Sneak in the mid-90s. That's yeah. my word. Hyphy. And gained popularity in the early 2000s. I don't put that on. That's my word. But in the early days, when Keek started using it, hyphy didn't mean what it means now. He's the one who created the hyphy terminology. Because in Oakland, hyphy was not didn't mean fun. Hyphy meant 
they hyphy over there. Like I'm not I'm trying away. to go over there. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> they might rob you. They might. You never know what's going on. Right. No, that's a hyphy dog. I'm staying away from it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but as language does, the term evolved to mean hyperactive in a good way, full of exuberant energy. You know, like the life of the party. It's pure energy. It's it's not a, it's not even a, a clap sound or a ghost riding whips and all that. It's it's pure energy. If you think about what was going on around the rest of the country, like the only thing really comparable energy wise in the party was Atlanta. At that time, they were into the crunk. It was crunk was popping. We have our own version of of like high speed, energetic crunk. You know, energy it didn't didn't sound the same necessarily, but just it was a comparable energy. It all sounded like clear liquor in the you know like <laughs> vodka cranberries and vodka Red Bulls in the club. <laughs> oh, I can taste it. Oh, it's so bad. High pea juice. A lot of sugar, high fructose, and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> the high sound in the mid-2000s didn't come out of nowhere. It was a combination of the energy of the people and the evolution of music styles happening locally. To start us off, back in the day, there was funk music. The heavy bass and synthesizers shifted into a darker tone, becoming mob music. Mob shit, bitch. That sound got juiced up and grew into what we know as hyphy. Same bass, more tempo, not as dark, and a lot more fun. The generations of Bay Area rap are so thick. So like in the 80s, if like you had prehistoric mob music, I call it prehistoric, you know, Cro-Magnon mob music, where a lot of that was influenced from like, you know, East Coast rap, like Houdini. Specifically here, it's just the bass lines and the ominous sounds. The Moog synths and, and the different, yeah, the different synthesizers that they were using back then. And so that's the first iteration, like that mob, that 80s, you know, too short, too short sound. <laughs> but also very, like, influenced by the funk, funk music, Ohio funk. Everyone knows short sampled Parliament Funkadelic and James Brown, but it's the deep cuts that show just how foundational the funk was. Tracks like The Conscious Daughter's Something to Ride To, Funky Expedition. That song is built off a sample of the SOS bands, No One's Going to Love It. As it went through the to the late 90s, mob music started reinterpolating a lot of things. It had a lot of musicians like Ant Banks, Kyrie, producing very like lavish, I guess, productions. The mob era came with different flavors from all across Northern California. Similarly, the hyphy movement had different flavors from different towns too. There was them hood stars from East Palo Alto. Jay Stylin and Livewire Records out of West Oakland, and the Federation out of Fairfield, to name a few. And many artists had careers that spanned both mob music and the hyphy movement, like Too Short, E-40, and this one guy whose birth name is Andre Hicks, but you might know him as the Frilly Ghost, Ronald Dragon, Fizzle Washington, Andre Mackesy, the Cold Crest Creeper, or simply they call me Mac Dre and I'm keeping the name. I sport Nike shoes. I got a mic to use to talk about 
The thing that he brought was the energy of Hyphy, the caricature, the character of Hyphy. He kind of set the ground rules or the groundwork of like the fun aspect of it. And and then as the music started to catch up with Rick Rock and E-40 bringing that actual sonic sound of Hyphy, that connected with the characters that Mac Dre gave Fab in the 2000s. Mac Dre forever, man. I don't know what they heard. The baton from Mac Dre was kind of passed to like Mr. Fab in that regard and everybody else. I could touch myself. The game's so sharp, I might cut myself. Is there something about the region that breeds this sound? All of the, the different influences have created this thing because we weren't the first ones to start rapping or the first ones to do funk music. When you're not the first, you're kind of informed and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to put this twist on it. It's funny that you said it, of all people, that like when you're not the first, you create a twist, you remix it essentially, which... I mean, is what hip hop is about. Like you take it, you do a sample, you scratch it your own way, you know, you flip it and you put your own flavor in it. But also that's literally like how you made your mark in the game. Bring me to one of your more notable productions, the remix of Tell Me When to Go. How did that come about? And that was early 2006. And I remember the energy was crazy in the Bay Area. It was like a pressure cooker and things were like speeding up. The day that the Tell Me When To Go vinyl dropped, I specifically went in with the intent, like, I'm gonna remix this because there's a lot of friends I know, like who are not from my area, you know, not from the Bay Area, who don't understand the Bay Area culture. They heard the song Tell Me When To Go and they're like, it's just drums, there's no music, or there's like no samples, or there's no like, it's not, that's not creative. And I'm like, y'all are tripping. It's a culture that you don't understand. And so I was like, well, I'm going to remix this and, and with the intent that y'all going to get this Bay Area music. Y'all are going to <laughs> respect us. <laughs> In my studio, I, I used to produce on on these car speakers, on these old like tins, these 10 tin, tin inch subwoofers. And I placed the acapella on top of the beat my face melted you know like there's only a few times where you like automatically know you have a hit at the time i was working at youth radio in the training department i went and brought my remix and gave it out to the students at youth radio at the time things didn't go viral they just went on your myspace player and so i i had put the song on my myspace Everyone started adding it to their MySpaces. And then, you know, next I heard people were playing it in their high school gym, like rallies and students would bring me video back showing me, you know, like, look, it's going crazy. And like that next, like maybe three months was just insane. Wildfire. Hey, it's that song where like the whole club will go stupid. And this is like club, I'm saying club. Like, let me get it right. Candy shop function, you know what I'm saying? like. That's what. That's where I was. I was 18, 19. 18 um, dummy. Going 18 dummy, right? I knew that as long as I kept the, the knock in it, the pound, you know, the bottom, it would it would stand up sonically in, in the function. Is there a major philosophy to remixing things? 
I'm born and raised in the Bay Area. I'm from Alameda. It's right next to Oakland. I call it the island off the coast of the town. Me, I'm half black and Filipino. That's a re- that's a uniquely Bay Area remix. I mean, there, there's we're everywhere, but like the Bay has a very big uh, community of of folks like us. So I feel like for me, that's kind of like the backdrop. Like I've always been in between a lot of things. You know, growing up in Alameda, wasn't a lot of black folks, and even Filipinos where I lived. And so it was like I got to get in where I fit in, and I felt like remixing was the same way i like so many types of music growing up and i kind of wanted to put them all together anita baker like the old school stuff i like and sade when it came to remixing it was also like trying to create something different than the original but just as good not trying to necessarily do something better or like that beat was whack it's more of like Okay, well, this is where the original sits. Let me try to do something adjacent to that that people might not have been thinking about. Gotcha. Okay. That's the philosophy that went behind the work. Who are some of the early artists that you work with? I used to give out CDs a lot. And the first person that took me seriously was Mr. Fab. Fab called me the next day on his way to Summer Jam. And he was like, hey, bro, this CD slap. These beats... You know, he's like, they're different, man. He's like, but he kept saying, he's like, we got to connect. We got to connect. He was working on what will become Son of a Pimp. And I ended up producing six tracks on there. I did Chris V's first mixtape. I did six tracks on there on the masterpiece. Classic mixtape. Like, that's a hood classic. Having someone as talented as Chris V and Fab and all them, like, rap on your beats it wakes it up all the way where you're like oh i i think i can actually do this you know what's going on right now in terms of bay area sound it's all like a post mob and hyphy sound kind of mixed together so you have a lot of like the 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 slap and kind of the general rhythmic disposition that's similar we're back to like the ominous chords and like the pianos It's undeniable that the sonic backdrop of it all is a direct descendant of the older Bay Area music. Even someone like Rex Life Raj, where it's like, it's almost like soulful mob or soulful hyphy. It it amazes me how much it stays ingrained in our music. And and I believe that it's gonna stay because it actually has influenced the the whole landscape of music. Big time appreciation to Alameda's own Trackademics. The cool collar scholar came through and blessed us with the history lesson that Ken Burns would tip his hat to. To all of you listening out there, be sure to follow Trackademics on social media for updates on his work. You can find him under Trackademics. That's spelled T-R-A-C-K-A-D-E-M-I-C-K-S, both on Instagram and Twitter. Marisol Medina Cadena is the producer of this show. This episode was originally edited by Jessica Plachik and Vanessa Roncano. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Rice Stottenborough is our engagement intern. And Justin Ebrahimi and Rhea Gerwal are the engagement leads. Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Jen Shin, and Holly Kernan are the KQED execs. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw, reminding y'all that there is no better feeling than going stupid with your friends. Yay! Right now, it's just a KQED production. Funding for Right Nowish comes from Akhenati Foundation, supporting the development of powerful social change movements to eliminate structural racism.
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 